With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, Torian Thompson is still not committed to a school day. Nope. And I have a. Feeling. I guess that's been every day for <laughs> all of all time. It's pretty much years. There, there's never been a day where Torian Thompson's been committed <laughs> to a school in the history of the universe. So really, it's just another day in, in our lives here at Troy News is an absolute broadcast. Yeah, we. Uh, I think we should just stop holding our breath. Not that I don't think he's going to come, because I honestly think he's going to. I just don't think it's worth sitting around and waiting and counting down. It's it's more just, let's just go about our lives as we have been for 18 years. And, and the day that he decides to commit to Syracuse, we all, we all rejoice. We, we get excited that we don't have the same depth issues anymore. And then, you know, we just move on with him as a member of the team. It's just funny because, like, Syracuse wants him. It sounds like he wants Syracuse. Seton Hall doesn't seem to have a spot available. No. And Michigan State is, like, the third team that doesn't generate any talk whatsoever, which, like, in, you know, if you're a pessimist, you can argue maybe that, like, scares you away and makes you think that they're, like, the, the wild card here. But it's just, like, bizarre how little they're discussed, even though – did he visit there recently or he was done a visit there? I don't even know anymore because, like, his recruitment just seems to never end. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's hard to even, like, get worked up at this point because it's just – I, I joked on Twitter, like, after the last updates, like, I think he's just going to, like, show up on our team one day, and, like, they're going to, the first practice, someone's going to be like, oh, Torian Thompson's on the team, I guess. Oh, hey, guys, going on? I know that, uh, there was that Mike Waters post from a couple days ago that was talking about Eric Williams, same deal, just, you know, just decided a week before uh, class started, hey, I'm here, and then, uh, <laughs> and then he ended up leaving anyway. That's yeah, I guess stranger things have happened, so we'll see. If we get him, it's a nice ad. If not, I think the team, you know, it has some issues, but it'll, it'll, we'll survive. Syracuse basketball will go on. Yeah, and I think that that's what I'm seeing. Both camps, I'm sure you are too. That there, there's two very different schools of thought. There's the at this point, SU basketball is a well-oiled machine. Even if there's depth issues, they've been able to to conquer those before. They'll be fine. Or the if we don't get Thompson, you know, we're basically going to be trotting out walk-ons nonsense that you know i i think if if last year did nothing it should have at least confirmed to, to anyone that um the program's in good hands it, it can run itself um in, in many regards and this is not this is not a program anymore that 
that is going to be taking you know monumental steps back. I mean, obviously, we're only two years removed from what was a pretty bad season um, in Rocky and Christmas's final year, but I, I think this year kind of reestablished the order of things and even helped us take a leap forward um, as a program. In that, you know, we. We, we we didn't underachieve during the regular season. I think we took our lumps. I think we learned from them. And then a senior-led team, um, you know, was able to get itself to the Final Four. I think this year, maybe not the senior-led part, but I, I think that you have enough experience on the roster that, you know, even with some depth issues, I mean, these are young kids. Stamina is not going to be a major, major problem. Um, that that These guys will be just fine. Yeah, and Jim Beheim so loath to go beyond seven when he can avoid it, um, even when you'd think that maybe the team uh, does warrant it, that uh, I think, and add in the zone and everything else, I think Syracuse teams are generally a little more equipped to handle uh, less depth, although obviously I'd rather have the four-star power forward who everyone really likes uh, in addition to the te- team we already have. So, you know, fingers crossed, everyone. Very much agreed. Um is moving a little bit past basketball into football. Um, Dan, an idea we've been kind of batting around the blog the last couple of days, um, not realigning the ACC football divisions because that's a tired idea, but just completely getting rid of them. Um, this is something that we talked about many times before, um, but you know, SB Nation kind of jumped in in earnest on the SEC um, on Tuesday and then the Big Ten on Wednesday. Um, we kind of took a cue to, to check out the ACC. Um, based on the proposal, at least, you know, there are any glaring issues in, in the second iteration? I know today I kind of did some schedule balancing that seemed to get you know a lot more fans in yesterday's version. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting idea. Um, I get there, there are obvious challenges with it, but I think with the ACC uh, and with the SEC a little, you know, maybe a little less so. Um, just divisions are always going to present the issue of potential over. Uh, Unbalancing. Um, obviously, in the ACC, it's happened in a big way because Clemson and Florida State are the clear two best programs in the conference, and they are stuck on the same side. Um, obviously, things were planned out differently. They, you know, Clemson emerged. Uh, Miami never really got off the ground after moving to the ACC, it, which was pretty much aligned to get Miami, Florida State title games if possible. And that's obviously never happened because Miami, the one year they tied for the Coastal, they were not eligible for postseason play. Um, so yeah, this this gets rid of all those issues. Is even if you realign the, the divisions and and shuffle the you know shuffle things a little bit, you you know you never know when some other team emerges as a powerhouse and then you know another dives into the basement for for an extended period of time and you might still have the same issues even after changing. Um, so I like the idea. Obviously, there has to be. Uh, I, I know the Big Big Twelve is looking at a championship game with ten. Um, so I guess that's contingent on the NCAA changing that arbitrary rule. Um, but if you could change it so there can still be a championship game, which is obviously a big revenue driver, um, and then have those protected rivalries. I know you introduced like the the proposal of three per team, even if it's just you know specific rivalries, and we don't protect uh, like a Syracuse Pitt game. Um, I know that's how like the Pac-12 does it, and I think that works out pretty well. Um, obviously, they have divisions as well, but they they manage to kind of keep everything they need on the schedule uh, intact. So I, I, I like the idea. Obviously, there's no like perfect solution, but making it so that the conference doesn't feel like two very uh, separate things, which it does now when you only play a team every six years and you only host a team every 12 years if they're not your crossover or in your division. Um, I just think that's such a bad... Uh, it's, it, just, it doesn't make any sense for teams that are supposed to be in the same league 
Um, and if you can fix that in any way, whether it's it's pods or whether it's uh, your proposal or a similar proposal, um, I think that's a step up in the right direction. Yeah, and you know, I, I think you know, I addressed this on the Tuesday uh, article. Um, each league kind of has its own characteristics around realignment um, and, and how it's how it's dealt with it since. Um, I, I think that while you know the Maryland and Rutgers editions were weird for the Big Ten, um, the the jump to a nine game conference schedule, um, the, the fact that they do face a lot of these traditional powerhouses has allowed them to at least on Maryland's front, I feel, um, become more integrated quicker. I, I think the fact that they still have. Um, you know, 11 core members who have been there for a very long time, 10 who have been there even longer. Um, and then Nebraska being a traditional powerhouse, I feel like it was, it was a natural fit there, um, you know, from the beginning. I think that you, you, you're looking at a much more cogent identity. I think the Pac-10, same deal. You're looking at 10 teams who've been together since uh, the Arizona schools joined in the late 70s. Um, and then since then, you know, all, only the two additions in Colorado um, and Utah, both of whom I think fit right in at this point. You're not really questioning it um sec is the same deal again um you know only adding four teams in the last 25 years um and i think most people forget that south carolina and arkansas were ever anywhere else um and then the fact that a&m and missouri have uh, respectively been successful in the sec you know really helps that integration process even if they're stuck with an eight game conference schedule um like the acc and it doesn't really lend to as many um, repeat games um, the acc you know again as i mentioned um, much different scenario. Um, we're an eight-team league for a long time. Became a nine-team league only in the early '90s. Uh, Florida State, and then since then, have lost one program in Maryland and added six. Um, so almost half the league um, is a fairly recent addition. Uh, many of them a recent addition from the same conference. So there's carryover rivalries there, or, or the, the gaps in time have kind of you know removed senses of rivalry. There's just it's tailor-made. This, you know, protect three rivals concept works really well for the SEC because they have so many rivals, but it also drops off a few important ones. With the ACC, you don't lose a single important rival, but if anything, you end up forcing a couple, which to me is actually the lesser of two evils. But it does, however, force this kind of, um, you know, collective culture and identity that, that I feel um, is just currently lacking in the ACC. Right, and, and the ACC for, for so long, um, it just seems like they've been just following exactly what the SEC's done down to the eight-game schedule. So now that we see that the ACC might be uh, ahead of the SEC and moving to the nine games, uh, which I know presents Syracuse some particular issues with scheduling, but I think overall is probably better for the same you know conference identity issues, um, is interesting because it makes it seem like they're a little bit more of their own animal now. Agreed. Now, I think, you know, where the Pac-12 kind of runs laps around everybody else is they had the nine-game schedule idea before anybody else. Um, I feel like those teams are very quick to, um, you know, wrap up future schedules. I feel like they have no problem grabbing future dates. Um, I mean, especially when you have basically one conference out there in the Mountain West that that can easily, you know, hop into um, one of those out-of-conference slots every year and then an FCS team for almost all of them that grabs another um, you know, then that last that last one is usually just filled by you know any any Big Ten or uh, Big Twelve school particularly that wants to fill it. Um, but where the Pac-12 really has an advantage over over the other three um, you know divisional power conference leagues um, is, is how linear all the numbers are. I mean, you have 
you have those two protect you have the protected rivalries um, with the California schools, but it works a lot easier because it, it's it's all multiples of three. You know, you're looking at um, six teams per division. You're looking at nine conference games. Everything kind of moves along an easy line with 14 is obviously just – I think when, when all this realignment crap started, I don't think anyone was ever sitting around going, all right, 14 is the number um, because the number – it just it, – it doesn't line up. It doesn't match. Um, there's a lot um, – there's a lot wrong with the number in, just in terms of, you know, how you can create um, a balanced and, and, and easy-to-digest schedule. And I think that's really why this, uh, this three-pod system, which um, – I would say probably is the brainchild of, of Brian Favitt from, uh, from BC Interruption. Um, I know David Teal over at the Daily Press wrote about it too, but my earliest recollection of it was probably about three or four years ago from Brian. Yeah, I mean, the pod, I, I think people have like mocked a little bit, but I just think um, you want to keep specific things together. And uh, obviously the ACC has... You know, you have the, the, the triangle schools all need to play each other. And then I'm sure, like, if Wake Forest could play those schools, they would, although they seem to get the short change out of the out of the four. And then you have the UNC-Virginia rivalry. You have Clemson-Georgia Tech. You have everyone wanting to play in Atlanta and Florida, Miami-Florida State. So there's just a lot, a lot of uh, overlapping interests. So just freeing up uh, fewer unnecessary annual games, like, you know, a Syracuse pit, which might end up getting protected anyway, um, or, you know, a Syracuse NC State or, uh, you know, Boston College, uh, Florida State. Like, I, I, does that, that have, no like, a weird – <laughs> no. Yeah, just games that just, like, that's fine. Like, I get why they're there now, but if if that's not a game every single year, no one's going to care, and in five years I'll forget that that was a game every year. Um, so just – I just hope they find a way to do that, and obviously in college football they'll probably find the most asinine – uh, half measure to fix it, uh, and you know we'll just have to settle for that. Yeah, unfortunately, I have to agree with you. I mean, and not that I'm you know to my own horn. Again, I'm not the person that came up with this idea to begin with, but I think that I've put together probably the most complete solution so far um, for the ACC with, with this uh, three permanent rivals setup. I mean, like you said, we don't want to play Pitt every year. It hasn't been advantageous to us and ever. Um, but at the same time, if we're going to be protect, like protecting Pitt in the current setup makes zero sense. Protecting Pitt in this setup probably makes a lot of sense. Uh, Louisville, on the other hand, is more of a toss-up. You don't have to have them in there, and I think I mentioned that a bunch too. Like where the ACC excels here is that you know you have a lot more flexibility. There's really not a whole lot of sacred cows that get you know put out here. I think the only game that really um, you know, stands out as, as missing is probably the UNC Wake Forest game is the only one that really gets the shaft um, out of the, you know, quote-unquote rivalries that this conference possesses currently, anyway. Right, and that's part of the reason why I think uh, we end up missing out on, like, like how cool would it, I mean, I think part, part of the reason why a lot of people thought the, the ACC was a cool move on top of the obvious, like, it needed to happen, but we were getting back together with schools like Virginia Tech and Miami, and uh, obviously we played Virginia Tech this year, but uh, that's going to be the first time we've played either of those two teams, and I don't even know when we have Miami coming around. But Next year. It's just, okay, next year. <laughs> and then we have to wait for five and six years, respectively. Um, so just very disjointed on that end, as much as I enjoy playing uh, Wake Forest every year and getting that win. <laughs> if, if we have to sacrifice 
the biannual trips to to Winston Salem, uh, I think we'll get we'll get over it. Four game win streak. <laughs> Going back to that stupid game that we should have lost and then we won. Forgot <laughs> <laughs> about that. I did not forget about that. I was losing. Oh, that bad game. I I've been in all of those games actually. I've been in all four of those. Oof. I picked good football games to go to everyone. I mean, at, at least you're traveling lesser distances to see them than I am. I mean, I went to, yeah, I get less than you. It's still <laughs> North Carolina. Fair, fair, fair. Um, see, I, I guess, Dan, what, what do you think the ACC will do? I mean, we, I think we can probably take the, the logical plan, this one off the table, um, as something that will happen. Do you think that nine games is is a likely solution? Do you think if, if Jim Delaney stops being a troll that, that maybe we can get rid of divisions? I know he was, he was one of the main um, detractors from that plan. Uh, do you think we're looking at divisional realignment, or do you think we're just going to sit here and, and watch the status quo and see Clemson and Florida State battle it out um, for a de facto championship every regular season? Uh, I think the next move will be nine, and then maybe after another team gets emboldened and maybe makes a bigger move, then the ACC follows suit, but I still think uh, I don't think the ACC is going to go out on the on the ledge and and uh, be the first ones to do something kind of you know off the cuff. So I do think eventually they'll go to nine games and that'll help a little bit. That'll you know change that'll move stuff from what uh, every six years to every three years, which is better. Um, and it's a start, but uh, I think eventually you know another one of the leads will probably step up and be like, all right, this division stuff's stupid. Maybe the Big Twelve if they actually do add teams and decide they don't want the same issues that they had when they had two divisions with the, uh, the really unbalanced leagues of the setup that, that they were dealing with. So um, I, I don't expect the ACC to be a, a, a leader here. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they'll, they'll be the ones to go out on the limb. Um, but if someone else does, uh, which I don't know, like the Pac-12 is the obvious one, but I don't think they need to. Um, maybe the big 10, they have kind of divisional issues um, that are hard to solve. Uh, and right now they have a very unbalanced uh, East with Michigan kind of coming along to, as fast as it did. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. I, I think uh, it'll probably go to a nine-game schedule before anything else, and that that is the easiest solution for them. Um, and then maybe down the road we'll see something a little more drastic. That's fair. And honestly, like, I think it's weird that the ACC, considering I think the trailblazing in terms of realignment, but I feel like they have been a first mover there. Um, I feel like other than, I mean, at the end of the day, you only lost Maryland. Um, Maryland pretty much had to go no matter what the ACC could do for them. But I don't really consider that much of a loss. And at the end of the day, we traded them for Louisville, so net win on the ACC's front. But it is weird that the ACC takes every other cue from the SEC and, and in another breath, Notre Dame, um, really, when it comes to doing anything, they're kind of you know waiting for two other, other rocks to move before they do anything at all. Yep, I mean, that's just where we are. Um, like we said to start, maybe, you know, going to nine games before uh, before uh, the SEC made a move there is a sign of things to come. Um, maybe the, the news of uh, potentially but not necessarily uh, impending ACC network that people can't seem to agree on, maybe that uh, that means that the, the league's getting a little more bold as well. Who knows? Yeah. I'm I mean, right. we've been hearing about that for like three years, and it seems like... Uh, People are now deciding that that's happening, except for uh, a couple of non-ACC. I think, I forget who said it wasn't going to happen, but it wasn't anyone important. Um, but then a bunch of like people closer to the conference said that it's like, 
going to happen very soon or going to happen in the next three years or Notre Dame might be coming soon and, you know, maybe they'll do it without Notre Dame. So, like, there's so much noise around that network. But it does seem like the the trend is that it is going to be a reality, which is good. Yeah, and I mean, you look at the – and not that this is the end-all, be-all anymore, but, you know, when, when realignment first started going, the last round, it was um, – all about TV markets and all about footprint. I think things have changed with uh, cord cutting and, and ESPN dropping subscribers like flies. There's a lot wrong with you know that way of thinking just a couple of years ago. Um, but I think what you're still seeing for the ACC, however, is that there's a large potential footprint um, you know all along the Eastern Seaboard and some growing markets like Louisville, um, you know Notre Dame, Red Chicago. The, the, there, there's a lot that says even. That says more than half the country's population is is a subscriber very quickly, and and you look at what the Big Ten did. Yes, there was some pushback at the beginning, but um, despite the fact that Rutgers does not do anything to move the needle in New York, and, and Maryland barely moves the needle in in DC, um, having those markets, um, you know, as as local options that that some fans would want, or even the idea that some fans would want, was enough to get the Big Ten network picked up pretty much everywhere at this point. Um, SEC obviously has you know its its own um, you know easier path because of the national brands that it plays with. Um, but yeah, I, I think that the ACC's demographics really help it out a lot. Um, I do think we're three years out, and, and but I'm also in the camp of a lot of other folks um, who have said you know this isn't going to be a traditional network, and that might disappoint some people. But I think those people will will come around quickly when they see that. Um, you know, the ACC, which has been, you know, quietly, slowly investing more in mobile um, and digital properties. Like, I feel like that's probably where this this uh, this network is, is, is not only headed, but, but better suited for long term. And that might mean a that might mean a dip from from the revenues people think we'd be getting from, from a network. But in reality, those those projections people might have in their heads were never really, you know, viable to begin with. Yeah, I think there's a fair chance that the network that rolls out is, uh, like you said, it, it's more of a you know cord cutting type, um, not like traditional network like you have in the SEC and and the uh, the Big Ten. Um, but there's also a good chance that networks like that wind up having to move towards more of the model that the ACC network might begin to be, um, just based on people you know losing subscribers. It's been a huge issue for ESPN. And while the SEC network and the Big Ten network have both been big successes, the Pac-12 network is a total debacle, uh, and that's a league that we've spent half, you know, the first twenty minutes of this podcast praising. They do almost everything right, and Except their network that. launch <laughs> is hilariously bad, which people don't realize just as it doesn't get talked about a lot out here. Um, and then the, the Longhorn network, which obviously, you know, apples and oranges, it's a it's not a conference network, um, but it's both uh, handicapping the Big Twelve in a big way, and as a network on its own, it's not very successful either so it, it has its own issues um so if the acc launches a network that's not quite as powerful as the big 10 or uh sec right away um there's still a good chance it's going to be the third most successful and uh at least more sustainable than what the the big 12 and pac 12 are dealing with especially considering like espn is not going to want to take a huge risk on things so uh they might just you know roll something out that's that you know is guaranteed to you know, be a modest, if not, like, absolute home run success. Agreed. You know what? I'm happy to play the long game on this because, like you said, too, if everyone has to transition to what an ACC, a digital mobile first kind of ACC network could be, 
I, I, I think I'd, I'd be fine to wait it out there. I have a feeling that a lot of these large deals aren't going to see themselves to the end. I think there's a lot of... There's going to be not necessarily consolidation. I think we might see um, less consolidation, but it, it's going to be kind of... You're going to see a lot of, of networks and a lot of sports kind of jumping in, into, you know, niche options. And, and I mean, look at what, like, Conference USA is, is losing a ton of money on their TV deal, but... Exposure-wise, because it's a short-term deal that they're going for, they might be hedging their bets for the future, and I think it might actually pay off. Um, I, I know we said this about the programs they added as well um, during realignment, and that doesn't really seem like it's worked, and most people couldn't probably name more than five programs in that conference. But I, I think that that model, um, albeit with some better networks perhaps, um, could potentially be the, the best bet 10 years down the road. Yeah, and uh, it's also, like, the ACC, it hasn't been, like, the football power maybe ever, um, and obviously it was named along with the Big 12 uh, and still is to a point uh, as, like, the power conference that's most, you know, easily targeted by the others, but um, it's done a dumb what it, the, the, the leadership's done what it's needed to do to stay alive and, and continue to be viable and hold off, you know, any major issues. I mean, losing Maryland is one thing, but uh, like you said before, I think adding Louisville was at worst a wash at best, like a, a pretty solid upgrade, especially in terms of how those athletic departments are managed. Um, so the ACC has been very good at like keeping itself alive and keeping itself, you know, relatively strong and staying a viable member of the power five and, uh, you know, getting a network, even if it's not, you know, going to be in every home right away or, or, you know, the powerhouse that the other two major networks are, um, as long as it keeps the ACC, you know, a, a decent amount ahead of the curb and, and, you know, strong enough to where teams are happy in the league and the league is, is content where, with where it is, I, I think there's a lot, a lot for us to, uh, to worry about. And also the brand of rights is huge. Um, keeping the brand of rights and sending that when the time comes is totally necessary. Uh, but I'm not too worried about that because that still has another nine years or so. Yeah, I, I think the worry about the grant of rights probably doesn't even come into play until, I don't know, five, maybe four years out. You're probably looking at 2020-ish, 2021, before people really start talking about that for, for every league. Um, Big Ten's purposely put itself on a different timeline so that it can swipe schools at the end, potentially, and then renegotiate uh, with a larger footprint. Yeah. And then the SEC doesn't have one because it's power moves only. I mean, it's a bold strategy. I, I don't... The SEC can't lose anybody at, at the moment. But I, I mean, I just don't know who... It won't. Like, there's no one's going to leave the SEC. Like, it's totally fine with them not having one. Yeah. I, although I do think that there's, there's only one possibility here. And I feel like it's, it's the... It's the insane possibility of Texas and Oklahoma to the Big Ten, and then Kansas, and then Missouri has to go. Yeah, I mean, that would be, you know, Mizzou going after the girl that it tried to go after for, like, three years straight, and then didn't, and then went with another girl, and then's like, oh, I'm going back to option one. I agree, but... E- even, even if there's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> but, but... <laughs> this has been really good for both of us. It's worked out probably better for you than, than you thought. But, but there's this thing that I was thinking one. about before. 
what's <laughs> worth like three times. That, that, that's the problem too. Is like the SEC is is obviously great, and I think the Big Ten football product is is top heavy. But if that league was able to add Oklahoma, Texas, Missouri, and Kansas, the value of membership in that league is is worth leaving the SEC for. It's possible. And, you know, getting back, getting the Kansas-Missouri thing back would be good. And I don't think Kansas will ever be in the SEC for obvious reasons. Um, but you're obviously then asking the Texas to fold its network, and that just doesn't seem to... Like, Texas is, is holding this entire thing up, and it's kind of hilarious and probably probably good for the ACC, honestly, in, like, a back, backwards way. Um, but it, it's just really funny to watch this one team that hasn't even been good in a while, yeah. uh, just totally screw up the plans of probably, like, two or three other leagues. Two or three other leagues. And, like, like countless other teams. And, like, 30 programs. Yeah, like, legitimately. Like, every other program in their state, uh, really every other program in the Big 12, like, it directly affects. And then the Pac-12 probably would have had them if not for the Longhorn Network. The Big 10 could make a move if not for the Longhorn Network. The ACC, SEC would obviously both make uh, overtures. Like, it's, it's really funny. I still kind of want to see Texas being independent because they can do it. That'd be, that'd be something. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'd be such a Texas move. But like A&M almost did it a couple of years ago too. Like when they were gonna, thinking about leaving the SEC, if the SEC wasn't interested, A&M was interested in just going independent. Now, I don't – I think A&M – I think that was more posturing. I think that was like they, 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 they probably they thought maybe they had stepped out too far from the Big 12 and they were just saying, you know, well – if the SEC doesn't work out, we'll just do this anyway. But I, I don't ever see them. I don't think they were in a good enough place at the time. Right. I don't think now, they Texas are now. probably could do it. Texas could easily do it because everyone would want a piece of, you know, national pickup on the Longhorn Network, Texas recruit access. I mean, you look at Texas's non-conference scheduling, and, and, and teams flock to Texas. I, I think that Texas is one of maybe a handful of programs that could go independent along with USC, Florida, Alabama, and Ohio, Ohio State, State, Michigan probably could. Ohio State and Michigan, that's probably the list. And Texas is actually like, and this, you know, this is not happening, by the way, anyone listening. <laughs> uh, the Texas makes the most sense out of all of those because Texas would leave and all the Big 12 programs would lose their minds. And then Texas would be like, hey, you guys want to play? And then their entire schedule would just look like half a Big 12 schedule. <laughs> and it would be great. It would be like a much much more lucrative, larger version of what BYU did to the Mountain West. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you just see like Texas Tech and like Oklahoma and Oklahoma State would be like putting out all these like nasty statements. Especially Oklahoma. Oklahoma would be so loud. Oh, and then and, and then they would ditch for the Big Pac-12 like in a second. But um, and then Texas would be like, "Yo, you guys still want to do the Red River thing?" And Oklahoma's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, one hundred percent, yeah, for sure." All about it. All right. Uh, so why don't we talk some beer before we jump into the Mountain West? Since I feel like there's there's a lot to talk about, and I feel like nobody's really, at least in your part of the country, no one talks about the Mountain West because it's on too late and on channels nobody has. No, I, I think more about the MAC and the Sun Belt than I do about the Mountain West, which isn't fair because that's a much better league. Um, but it's just like, you know, I, I don't get the like random Wednesday night exposure to it. Fair enough. Dan, what have you been drinking? Um, a bunch of like normal standbys, some all day IPA, some Dales, uh, some, I got over to Dinosaur, so I had their Ape Hanger, which is good. Uh, I'd say that the newer stuff, um, that I've had, I think I talked about 
I thought about the evil twin last week. Um, I tried Sierra Nevada's Ultra Vase, which is a uh, it was a it's a dose, I believe. Yeah. Um, really nice. I hadn't had that before, um, and it's kind of outside their like normal uh, like their normal stuff, which is obviously like happier and more you know traditional West Coast like IPA stuff. So this was a really strong effort, um, and obviously doses are really really big right now, which is uh, very obvious as everyone's brewing one. Um, but this was really strong, so I enjoyed that. Uh, and I had, uh, I was at a, uh, the bar by us that we go to a lot happens to be a Cleveland bar. So uh, we were there watching the Cavs Thunder, or Cavs Warriors game, sorry, the other night, uh, <laughs> the one the Cavs won. Someone just shot uh, himself in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> uh, and they were, had, they have uh, a couple of Cleveland beers. So I had a, a Citra Dog from Thirsty Dog Brewing. Uh, which I believe is a Cleveland brewery, uh, and that was an IPA, and that was uh, pretty solid. Nothing too special, but, you know, nice, hoppy, citrusy, so pretty standard, like, solid B, B-plus IPA. Awesome. Um, yep, and that was probably, those are the two new things I tried this week, so definitely Dr. says if you find that, that, that was really good. Yeah, that's uh, that's everywhere out here, obviously, and honestly, like, not that it's the best goes I've ever had, but but as far as like standardly available ones, it's definitely uh, definitely up there. Uh, some things that I had in the last week, uh, swung over to Monkish over in Torrance, had their Broken Barriers IPA. Um, they've been brewing East Coast style IPAs and resulting in seven hour lines outside on Saturdays. Um, I went to the first couple of those before they were seven hour lines. Now I don't bother. Um, can easily just show up on a Friday night and grab the beers on draft without a line. Uh, so I had that and uh, Days of Underoos, uh, both of which were very good IPAs. Had um, the breweries Ride That Bear. It was a hoppy Imperial Brown. Um, was helping shipping some beer to uh, a friend, so I got some stuff from the Midwest, including uh, the Alberta Clipper Porter. It's a raspberry porter from Great Lakes Brewing. Had uh, Unity from Three Weavers. Uh, every year, a different brewery um, in L.A. Uh, brews with all the other members of the L.A. Brewers Guild, a uh, like special, a Unity beer, as they call it, um, for, for Beer Week. Beer Week's next week, so uh, this year it was Three Weavers, which is over in Inglewood. Um, and yeah, thought it was a pretty standard, uh, you know, Southern California IPA. I feel like L.A. IPAs are... We haven't developed our own specific taste yet, but we're starting to get there. Um, had the Patsy from Barley Forge, uh, which is down in Orange County. It's a coconut it's a milk stout. Very, very good. Um, had Hoppy Oro from uh, Good Beer Company uh, down here, and uh, that was a, a kind of hoppy saison. And last night, I had a, a Day of the Dead from Three's Brewing out by you, um, Aaron Goldfarb sent me a couple cans of that. Three's just started um, canning some things, so that was uh, that was much enjoyed. And again, the fact that I didn't have to wait on a seven-hour line for a uh, for a hazier East Coast-style IPA was much appreciated. Yeah, seven hours for a beer, as good as they can be, a little much. Sort of dumb because people were showing up at five a.m. for a noon release. And pre-gaming the noon release, which, no. Hard pass. Nah. <laughs> definitely, definitely not about that. Again, you can you can show up and either that morning, you can literally just walk into the tap room and taste the beer, or you can even show up the night before 
without a line and all the hassle and and nonsense. It's uh, it's getting to be a bit much. So again, glad I uh, glad I got some East Coast hookups there. But yeah, why don't we move on to some Mountain West uh, football, Dan? Yay! So uh, you know, there's an obvious favorite here. A team that, that usually out, out recruits everybody else in the conference, uh, the Boise State Broncos. Yeah, uh, coming off one of their weirdest years in recent memory. The, the fact they lost in New Mexico is, is, is probably a good place to start. That or, or the Utah State thing. Yeah. Which it was is just so it's it was so weird that it's it's you almost have to look at it as like an anomaly. Uh, where the New Mexico game was like more of like a, oh they lost a bad game like Utah State was like okay they just something happened they didn't show up they weren't ready you you know normal normal teams don't put up fifty two points on pretty talented BYU or uh, Boise State points yeah like last year was probably the first I'd say the first time in like modern Boise State which I think like we're considering modern Boise State what like two thousand five and beyond. Like, basically, I'd say, like, year of the uh, that Fiesta Bowl and, and later. Oh, seven. Maybe, like, Peterson era plus, like, to now. Yeah, by that. Or uh, even not, I mean, before Peterson, the guy I went to Colorado, Hawkins. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, somewhere in between there. By that. But yeah, this was definitely the worst year, but it was it was a very strange, kind of convoluted year. And, and, and it was, it didn't make any sense either. To a lot of people, because you know, uh, they completely um, blew out Arizona in that Fiesta Bowl the year before. Everyone was really high on them, saw them as, as the the clear favorite um, to make a New Year's Six Bowl uh, from the Group of Five leagues. And, and yeah, they uh, they just they didn't look the part. And I think offensively, you know, they delivered. But now you look at a, a defense for them that um, missing a lot of pieces. Uh, from last year, which may be a good thing based on how bad the defense was, but that's kind of giving me a little bit of pause still, despite the fact that this offense should pretty much have everybody it needs. Yeah, defensively, I look at the uh, the returning depth chart, and it, uh, especially along the defensive line, and it's it makes me think uh, like, oh, I've seen this issue before. Uh, it's <laughs> called Syracuse uh, twenty fifteen to twenty sixteen. Yeah, um, they basically have no defensive tackles that uh, have played at all. Um, they have some nice defensive ends, which is good. Um, but like their the interior defensive line is totally green, uh, which is an issue. Um, linebackers are pretty well stacked, and then their defensive backfield uh, is also kind of shredded from the year before as well. So um, they're replacing you know some big pieces there offensively. As you said, they should be really good. They have uh, Rippin, a quarterback who stepped in last year and was was quite good. Uh, actually, again, kind of a weird like Syracuse similarity. Soft freshman steps in, performs uh, kind of above what you'd expect. Granted, he played a lot more. Um, and then running the running game was interesting. Uh, not super efficient, but uh, just in terms of raw numbers, Jeremy McNichols put up some really really good ones. You know, thirteen thirty seven yards, twenty touchdowns. Um, but they're not always. They don't always get like a consistent running game. Um, but they might have the best quarterback in the conference and, and a solid passing game. So it's going to be tough to like expect uh, Boise State not to be a contender in that league this year. Yeah, I completely agree. And you know, like Rippian, Rippian was. I think he was a four star. I know that he's the 
son of is he the, yeah he's the son of Mark Rippian who won the Super Bowl with the Redskins um, back in the early nineties. You know, the last time the Redskins were relevant. Um, but yeah, like I'm pretty sure he was a four star. I mean, so he was somebody that came in with a lot of hype, and he just arrived much earlier than I think people were banking on. And now, yeah, he's he's head and shoulders above um, you know the, the nearest QB um, in the Mountain West, which. And like the fact that he's only a true sophomore, he should be able to, um, you know, improve on last year's numbers, which were already pretty impressive. Yeah, uh, like we said, he stepped in early in the year. He wound up with uh, I think like 3,500 yards and uh, a really nice uh, touchdown interception ratio. Um, so he should be uh, one of the best players in that whole conference. And, and Boise State, you know, which has had good quarterback play in this entire era of. You know, Boise State being one of the best group of five teams, um, he might end up being, you know, as good as, as the Zabranstis and, and the other guys that have played that position for them. So, Kellen Moore. Uh, Kellen Moore, also a, a big name. Um, I'm trying to look back. I'm looking at his 24-7 profile. I'm trying to figure out why he went to Boise State. <laughs> um, he was a four-star player. Uh, but, you know, that's not usually uh, the type of player they get. Like, they... They find, you know, more inefficiencies, and they take, uh, they have a little more academic leniency, which helps them with guys, and then they go get tweeners, and they have, like, a really specific uh, strategy for how they get these really good teams. Um, he was just, it seems like he was just a really nice get for them, and he, they beat out uh, some big schools. They, uh, Mississippi State offered him, uh, looks like a couple of the, uh, couple of the Pac-12 schools were uh, after him, so Washington State. Um, so, yeah, just a really nice get for them. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're going to start seeing more of this. I, I understand that, that, you know, the gap between the Power Five and Group of Five programs has never been larger, but, you know, the available talent has also never been a larger pool either. And I think uh, if you put a lot of, if you tell a lot of kids, um, you know, you can wait two years and potentially start at Mississippi State and be lucky if you finish fourth in the SEC West, or you can almost guarantee yourself that you're going to be drafted. You start for three or four years, you know, in the Mountain West or the American Athletic Conference or uh, or, the, or Conference USA, and you put up, you know, video game numbers. I, I feel like a lot more kids are going to start trending toward, you know, the, the latter versus the former. Yeah, it's all about, like, what you value as a, as a player. If you want to go and you want to put up wins and you want to uh, go to, you know, have a chance to play in a big bowl game and, and after – uh, maybe an undefeated season, but not necessarily play for a national championship. And um, obviously, Boise State has some advantages just because they're kind of a name now. So they're, uh, you know, compared to the your average really good Mountain West school, they they are you know a team of interest. Uh, versus, like you said, Mississippi State, you know, you can be Dak Prescott and you can get a lot of uh, plaudits for for being you know really really good for two and a half three years. But not everyone can be Dak Prescott, and if you're just like an average Mississippi State quarterback or even just above average, you know you still might only be winning seven games a year at best, um, and that's you know that might be great. And and if you're in the SEC, you're gonna get a lot of exposure no matter what. But that might not be what everyone you know everyone's ideal is. So uh, if if Boise can keep on getting players like that, I mean they have a really good shot at uh, getting back to that national championship or like just bubbling under. Um, type of team they've had a couple times. Completely agree. I guess now looking at a team that, you know, you and I and many others have said should be recruiting at, at the level Boise State is uh, San Diego State, uh, arguably the only other really good team in the Mountain West, which is unfortunate. 
um, for this league since it was supposed to be on par with the American Athletic Conference. Um, SDSU uh, surprised a lot of folks just as they feel like you know they were one of those programs for a long time that people said, yeah, I mean, they should win 10 games because the Mountain West is has its has its body bag games. They they usually challenge themselves once in the out of conference. But then you know you you look at the early part of the schedule for them last year. I mean, they visited Cal and Penn State, lost those handily. Uh, they lost a home game to South Alabama. That didn't help much. Um, I know last year I think they lost. Well, two years ago they lost to an FCS team. I think it was Eastern Illinois. The year before that they lost another gimme game. So like that was becoming a hallmark of these uh, these rocky long teams. But, uh, yeah, SDSU, after that loss to Penn State, um, just kind of put all the demons to bed. I mean, they, what they did to Cincinnati in that Hawaii ball was, uh, was embarrassing for, for the Bearcats. It was just kind of just kind of sad to watch after a while, as, uh, you know, especially as, I think, fans of a team that used to play against and get kind of throttled by the Bearcats on a regular basis. Yeah, I don't think uh, Cincinnati would highlight some of that game in their, uh, their Big 12 portfolio. Yeah. Um, no, like you said, they had the, the three-game losing streak to start the year. They were one and three, and then they just went on a crusade um, against the rest of the Mountain West. Um, they're an interesting team. They Their passing game just isn't much. Uh, they lose uh, Maxwell Smith at quarterback, who just kind of got it done, but yeah, wasn't, managed. you know, that's ma- very much managed. San Diego State uh, has not, not had a real quarterback. In, I mean, and again, this is... Me speaking from a place of at least some knowledge with my, my connection via in-laws to, to the Aztecs. But, yeah, San Diego State has not had the type of quarterback play that, that you would think you'd be able to attract pretty easily, given where the school is and where its campus is. But, and there's like a million Southern California quarterbacks yeah, every year. And yet all of them end up going to Texas. Not Texas. <laughs> not the Longhorns, though. Other places. At least and the SEC is going after them now, too. I mean, it, it kind of makes sense. There's, there's a hell of a lot to like about uh, the training out here. There's a lot of great programs out here. Uh, but, yeah, I, I've, I've never understood why San Diego State can't uh, really upgrade itself from game manager. And I don't, I don't really know if Christian Chapman, the, the returning starter, well, not returning starter, but the, uh, the kind of supposed starter, uh, is really going to be able to change that. I, just, I think he can throw the ball. He, he did last year. Um, I, I just hope that, that it's less game management, a little more playmaking on his end. Yeah, I mean, luckily they have a gaudy running game. Uh, Donald Pumphrey returns. He uh, ran for almost 1,700 yards last year and 17 touchdowns, and that's pretty much who they were. They had another 1,000-yard rusher as well. Um, I'm sure this will be a similar attack. Uh, where, and they're just going to pound the ball and play really good D, and that is exactly who they are. Um, I think your debate then at the top of the Mountain West is, do you like uh, Boise, which might have more, um, probably more glaring holes, especially on defense, but they have the quarterback and they probably have uh, way higher upside versus San Diego State, which is seems to be more secure in what it does. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it, to be honest. And you look at, I think the schedule this year, Cal isn't the test it was last year. There's no more Jared Goff, I, I think. I don't think Sonny Dykes is long for that place. Um, we, we've already played up some entertaining scenarios of, of what happens next there. <laughs> A I'm, not sure ago. The, uh, I'm not sure if you heard the. I'm not sure if you heard the full cast that went up today, but they were joking uh, that when uh, when Texas does to play Cal this year, Sonny Dykes might just like jump in one of Charlie Strong's bags and like have him take him back to to the home state. <laughs> <laughs> I did actually listen to that. Um, 
I, I don't I don't doubt the concept because I, I see Cal's ceiling at about five wins this year, um, if only because the North Division is so tough in the Pac-12. Um, but yeah, I think San Diego could test Cal, um, especially because of that. I mean, granted, there is no home field advantage at Qualcomm, but the fact they don't have to travel up to Berkeley is, is a plus. Um, they have road games against Northern Illinois and South Alabama. Neither of those are easy, but I think that they're better than both programs. And then, yeah, you look down the list. Um, they avoid Boise State uh, yet again. And I don't see a loss in conference play. So San Diego State starts at a baseline of nine wins, if you include the New Hampshire game. Uh, that, that's one of the more advantageous uh, roads of, of any team in the country. Um, just because, and this is a total aside, um, but because I brought up Sonny Dyson, it reminded me, uh, because we were talking about him possibly filling in at Baylor, um, in college football this summer, why is it that every organization and school and league decided that it's going to be the summer of, hey, let's present a really bad idea to the public, and then the public is going to tell us how bad this idea is, and then we're going to retract it in, like, three days, because that's happened five or six times this year at, like, all across, like, the scale of magnitudes, whether it's satellite camps, which is a really big story on an issue that's really small. Um, obviously, Art Bryles, which was, like, a hilariously bad idea that I can't believe Baylor let get out. Um, even, like, LSU was in a ban other schools from doing halftime performances, and then everyone, there was an outcry, and LSU's like, oh, never mind. Uh, there's just, like, every time any school or league has presented an idea, A, it's been really bad, and then they're just really quick to, to button up as soon as as uh, the public reacts. Like, do people not uh, – like, are there people in college football that, like, weigh the outside uh, perspectives uh, or how things are going to be uh, reacted to before they actually go out and put them out there in public? Because it doesn't seem like it. It doesn't seem like anyone has any idea how college football fans both feel on things before they actually just go ahead and, like, put stuff out there. It's just crazy to me that it's happened so many times with, like, every conceivable issue in the sport. Um. So yeah, uh, hire, hire Sunny Dykes at Baylor, just so you don't hire up Riles again, because that was such an atrocious idea that apparently some Baylor people had. Uh, that you know, just don't do that. Hire anyone else, please. Literally anyone except for Dino Babers. Don't hire him either. Don't hire Dino Babers. Hire Brad. They should have to hire Dred Robinson. I know we've joked about this with like a million programs. Do it. <laughs> Dred Robinson, experience winning in the state of Texas. True. Has a Super Bowl ring. <laughs> has a Super Bowl ring. Has been a defensive coordinator with the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't think those teams were particularly good on defense, but he was there. Understands how um, to cheat to get absolutely no advantage. No. But not like the really bad kind of cheating like you were doing, uh, which I don't even know if you call it cheating because that almost makes it seem like it was like a game. It wasn't even cheating. It was like just horribly immoral bullshit. Like, is it, like they didn't gain a real competitive advantage from it. They just don't have any morals as a university, apparently. Um, so hire Greg Robinson. He's probably a nice guy from what we've heard. And that, that's a step up. Yeah, and to be honest, like to answer your question of, of how college football does this, um, I feel like it's most of the product of, of college football being, being run by you know, older white men in their 65 to 75 range. You know, it's just a lot of guys who just feel at this point that they, they, they can't learn anything from anyone. And and as a result, you know, this is kind of what you get is that the public has become the test kitchen for them. They're like, hey, you know, I, I heard it worked for uh, heard it worked for Bobby Flay. So let me let me get this test, test kitchen going. Let's just start throwing shit out to the public. 
and, and, and see what they say about it. And at the end of the day, they already hate us, so we could just retract it in a couple of days if, if, if it doesn't work out. <laughs> it's like they use us all as, like, market testing. Yeah, I, I, don't know who, I don't know who gave them that, that, uh, that advice. I, I'd, I'd advise them to walk that back as well, but I, I think we're too far down the road now. Yeah, so anyway, uh, San Diego State. Uh, yeah, they, they run and play good day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, probably sorry, for the, sorry for the aside. That just oh, popped in my head. That's fine. <laughs> um, you know, I, I did say there were two good teams in, in the Mountain West, and I don't want to sell short another squad that could also be very good, though I think that that very good might more be based on wins and losses than actual quality just because they're a service academy they don't necessarily run a traditional offense they just have a very weird program that is not bad it just they're oddly consistently good and i can never i would never call them like great ever and and i think that they're in for another one of those this year um mostly because their non-conference schedule is garbage and the at this point like i think like the the bottom half of the Mountain West is suddenly degraded into pure and utter trash. Shout out to Air Force. Yeah, shout out to Air Force, who, uh, once again, uh, the old triple option nonsense, they uh, they have to replace their QB. But again, Abilene Christian, Georgia State, Navy, which should be good, but not as good as last year without Keenan Reynolds. And who Army. Else? Oh, an Army. And, and Army is, is almost a guaranteed win for Air Force just because um, they're able to recruit, I feel, better athletes um, at Air Force. And same goes for Navy that, than Army has. I think Army's budget, if, I haven't really looked into this heavily, but pretty sure Army's got the, the lowest recruiting budget and the least athletic budget of the, the three service academies, which makes a lot of sense why Air Force and Navy are able to, to make it and, and succeed in, in you know football conferences while Army... Their uh, their brief foray in the conference, into Conference USA, I, I'd argue they're still probably reeling from. Yeah, I mean, I think Air Force is interesting because last year um, they were kind of able to throw the ball a little bit, like more than your average service academy triple option team. Uh, Carson Roberts, you know, he threw for like sixteen hundred yards. He threw about one hundred fifty times, um, and they they still have a nice receiver in Jalen Robinette, who you know, as far as triple option receivers go, is pretty. Uh, you know, it's 640 yards. It's pretty good. Uh, Syracuse would take that uh, yeah. compared to last year. Um, the question is, do they become more one-dimensional now, uh, like a standard triple option, or do they still have that kind of dynamic, a uh, little bit more um, diverse attack? Uh, obviously, the triple option gives people trouble no matter what. Um, but this is the Air Force has been had some of its better years recently, so. Uh, question is if, if they regress from there or if they uh, are still able to, to keep that up. Man, you know, I, I, I've said this for years. Like, the, the triple option, and, and for Georgia Tech, and they'll be the first to tell you it's not really a triple option there, but a spread option. An option attack, right. an option attack works best when there is a downfield option. You look at the, the great Georgia Tech teams, um, you know, with, with Calvin Johnson and others, like, these are... These were teams that had downfield options. You look at last year, how bad Georgia Tech was, and the year before, how good they were. The year before, uh, you had Justin Thomas throwing the ball more. You had more downfield passing plays. The, the triple option doesn't work if every single play is exactly the same. Um, it, it does work if you have if you're going three wide every once in a while, 
and, and you're catching defense stacking the box. And, and, and that's what I think Air Force understood last year. I think Georgia Tech got away from last year. Um, Two years ago, Georgia Tech was all about that. Yeah, and they had, you know. And they were 11-3, and three, and they were a very, very good team. Right. It's, uh, yeah, I, I think just overall, without the quarterback and with some bigger questions, I, I they are definitely a run below. And with these, these option teams, you know, they like we saw with Georgia Tech last year, you can have disaster strike. Um, obviously, Georgia Tech has generally been more, like, average until that 11-3 year, and then they, they fell way back last year. Uh, but sometimes just things, the, the, the chemistry doesn't work. Now, defensively, they actually return a decent amount, so they should be solid on that side of the ball, I think. Yeah, and again, because the conference is trash, they'll probably be okay. Um, Dan, so we don't go through all of these teams uh, because I, I doubt there's really much to say about a bunch of them. Um, who is your surprise team in the Mountain West? I know I don't think that, that any team is, is talented enough to knock off the, the Broncos or the Aztecs, but if you had to pick a team that maybe finishes second in their division... Um, without notice who might that team be um it's interesting i'm looking at either uh utah state or colorado state um colorado state i'm just interested to see how they develop under mike bobo uh obviously he was replacing uh jim McElwain last year um and it seems like he was able to mostly keep things going obviously they had a drop off without Derek grayson uh which was natural and and you know losing their coach you're obviously going to take a little bit of a step back um, but I think there's a decent chance that he kind of bounces them back up, and they, they do have, uh, I think, solid talent for that league. Uh, and then Utah State last year, um, not a great team, uh, and then I think they are finally without Chucky Keaton uh, for the half of season he would have played this year uh, had he had an eighth-year of eligibility, <laughs> which is sad because Chucky Keaton was awesome when he was healthy, which uh, he really wasn't at all last year. Yeah. Um, but Ken Myers, who stepped in for him, was, was, was quite good. Um, I think you know a full year of him uh, should be solid. He threw for uh, about 1,600 yards, filling in for Keaton, who was hurt a lot of last year. 16 touchdowns, three interceptions, um, completed 60% of his passes. So pretty solid numbers for a young quarterback. Uh, and then they return a whole lot of runner. Uh, you know, a lot. They're basically their entire ground uh, game for the most part outside of Keaton. Um, and they obviously had that crazy win against Boise State, which. You know, I think they only ended up being six and seven with the bowl, with the uh, bowl game. But when you drop fifty two points on Boise State, I think it says something about your ceiling, um, even if that was kind of a fluky game to begin with. And, and I feel like Utah State's has been very solid for a while. So uh, those two teams are kind of bubbling under. I think I don't I don't expect one of them to to beat Boise State in the Mountain Division. I actually didn't know what the divisions were called in this league until just now. Um, <laughs> they're very unimaginative, the Mountain and the West. But at least um, it makes more sense than ours do. Yes. Because these are actual I mean, uh, geographical identifiers. They are. They, they, they really are. They, they put the Mountaineer teams in the mountain, and they put the Western, more Western teams in the West, yeah, the West which I guess is as good of a reason as any to put teams in a division. Um, and then I'd say uh, shout-out to UNLV, because I still think last year's uh, coaching hire was interesting. Um, Tony Sanchez, the high school coach, uh, and uh, I think we've talked about UNLV here before. They're like, they're going to take a while because they were coming from a really bad place, but there's a chance in like two years they have a lot of talent and are really interesting. Yeah, UNLV is definitely my like long play here. And you look at the recruiting uh, this past year, 
they finished fourth in the conference behind Boise, Colorado, and San Diego. Um, so yeah, I think you're looking at UNLV being a rising program in a couple of years. And I, I, like I said, we have talked about it. Sanchez is the guy um, for them, and I think that he he was an inspired hire. Um, I, and I also think if if the Raiders happen to move to to Las Vegas, I think that that really does kind of fast track UNLV um, in, in terms of the money flowing into that program. But for me, um, the surprise pick is going to be the Bob Davy All-Stars, the pride of Albuquerque, <laughs> the New Mexico Lobos. They went to a bowl last year. They did. And they played in their, was it in their home stadium? Because I think it was. Yes, and they only lost Arizona by eight. Yes, uh, a totally perplexing Arizona team. I, I, don't, which I don't know anything went about Went to a Fiesta program. Bowl the year before and got destroyed by Boise State. But returned Never its recovered. quarterback, and everyone thought they would be pretty good because the new Solomon was a freshman, and then he was a sophomore, and he was okay. But the rest of the team, not so much. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand Arizona. Rich Rod, if, if Arizona can't make a bowl this year, Rich Rod might get fired, and then it's all hell's going. After happen. he almost got poached by an SEC team. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Rich Rod, I think Rich Rich Rod's gonna like become like the. Uh, he might just develop into like the sneaky like college football uh, Jeff Fisher. Where he is always just good enough not to get fired, and then he's just like always bad enough to actually like take his team to the next level. So they might have peaked. Under, they might have peaked under Rich Rod already. He might because I could also see Rich Rod just kind of playing out the string and coaching at Arizona for another seven years, but never like really looked like he wants to retire. And they're like, "Hey, Rich, uh, so what are you thinking?" He's like, "I'm good." Yeah. Well, what's Maybe the- just turns into like Spurrier. But what's the schedule? Like, I mean, I, I guess yeah. Like in a similar Spurrierish territory, like. What's the standard for success at Arizona? Like, that's the question. Who knows? Seven, like seven it's, wins, sounds pretty good for for a state with no local talent. A basketball school, basketball school that has to compete, which still against, has to compete against another in-state good team. Right. It's like a bizarre. It's it's tough because Arizona has like a little bit of talent, but not probably not enough to sustain two uh, premier programs no. like it did for like for a year, a couple of years ago, where I think they both had ten wins. Um, and then obviously everyone goes after California, which is starting to pick up, you know, especially quarterback wise, um, schools from the SEC and Big Ten are starting to pick, pick up the California kids as well. So it, it is kind of a precarious situation for the Arizona schools. Um, and Rich Rod, he, I think he's a very good coach. Obviously, South Carolina went after him for a reason. Uh, they have some aspirations, but, um, it's just, it doesn't seem like the ceiling is probably quite as high as Wild Heads would want. But at least they have basketball, and at least that Sean Miller rumor was, to Pitt was hilariously stupid. Yeah, I'm really glad that didn't happen. Also, here's a fun scenario, as we love to do coach switching. Um, what if, like, three years from now, if, if neither side's happy, what if Todd Graham and, and Rich Rod just decide to switch places? I mean, <laughs> Todd Graham, Arizona is Todd Graham's family's, like, that's where they're from. And just because, like, I, I bet that he could convince... I bet he could have a dream where Tucson's a little better than uh, than Tempe. More, uh, Tempe. Maybe, maybe like the dream. He almost got to the dream in Tempe, but he just it wasn't quite perfect. And then maybe Arizona State just like uh, decides to like immediately buy out the oil futures that Arizona gave Richrod, and then gives Richrod some better oil futures. I mean, this seems plausible <laughs> on a lot of different levels. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that happens. Coach trade, Arizona edition. 
Oh god, we we are we are definitely not done with Todd Graham's moving stools. I refuse to believe that Arizona State is his final no. his final willing stop. And doesn't seem like he's going to get fired. He's doing a good job. So I I I refuse to believe that Todd Graham is actually going to settle the the Graham clan uh, in Arizona forever. He's definitely got at least one more like weird move in him. See at USC but, in two years. Oh God, that'd be so good. I mean, it, it, that's a hundred percent in play. That could absolutely happen. That's not even unrealistic. No, that's why I said it because I honestly think that that's in play. Like, if the boosters at USC get sick of it and decide they want to pay five coaches at once, they'll do it, and and just said, hey, this guy Graham beat us once in the last two years. Screw it. Let's let's get him in here. Or or maybe they'll just find that like one branch left of the Pete Carroll coaching tree that they haven't tapped into yet. <laughs> they're, 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 actually, no, maybe they'll hire Link. No, Maybe they'll hire Lane Kiffin again bold. because the entire uh, athletic department blacked out when they hired him the first time and forgot it happened. No, just uh, just just call Swanee in from the uh, from the AD booth. <laughs> now you, you think he's actually going to attend games? He's going to be on the golf course. Like, That's there's true. no way he's going to be like an active. Oh, I forgot. I forgot they hired Lynn Swan to be their athletic director. What a ridiculous hire! Man, you should have heard talk radio was fire out here. I, I should have tuned in. Well, how stupid. USC, no one squanders their lot in life like USC. Nope. Not, not, not a school. They also, they also hired a search firm to help them hire Lynn Swan. Which, I don't, I don't think you guys needed to vet him. I think have you put in our, our paperwork to start our search firm LLC yet? <laughs> not yet, but you know what? I I'm determined to retire as a college athletics search firm person. That is my that is my dream job. I don't care where I do it from. I mean, I feel like with the effort, it seems like it, that it involves. You could probably do it from home. I could. I feel like I'm totally qualified to do that job right now. Same. I think you and I. I can come up with names for jobs. Like I, I could have made a better hire than Lynn Swan or Clay Helen. Well, I think most could, but but, but <laughs> looking at some of the other jobs around the country, there's certainly options as well. But yeah, I was going to talk about New Mexico, but I'm not going to do that. I will say that New Mexico has probably one of the best defenses in the league that is not at San Diego State, which could help them, especially considering there's like nobody back on offense. Um, I would also point out before we go that, um, Dan, do you think Craig Bowles is going to get fired if Wyoming loses like 10 games again? Man, I don't know. Like Wyoming's such a ridiculous job. Um, like was Craig Bowles like, like obnoxious? Like did he like think like oh man I'm gonna do this and then like it just didn't work? I almost think he like flew a little too close to the sun taking the Wyoming job. I, I feel like I know that that you had to be like a little inventive, but like wouldn't you think that some uh, a slightly better job would have taken taken a shot on him? I mean I feel like if he'd stuck around at North Dakota State for two more years, USC would have hired him. <laughs> Who knows? You never know. USC's in hire. Does he have connections to Carroll? I don't think he does. I, but nope. So that right away is off the list. It definitely wouldn't have. But like, I, I get wanting to stay in the same geographic region, and I guess that he had like ridiculous success at North Dakota State. Wait for Minnesota. Um, Just you, you could have gone to Minnesota this past if you really wanted to stay around there. That's possible. Like it just seems like Wyoming is not nearly the step up that I would have been comfortable taking from North Dakota State, where he was. You know, he was kind of god there. Um, and I get it; it's it's one double A, but I think that the I think the gap between like the bottom of of FBS uh, and the top of FCS is kind of closing a little bit weirdly. Yeah. Like I I don't think I really like I don't think that 
you take North Dakota State over like a San Diego State or anything, but like Wyoming is almost like unwinnable situation. And why not just keep on winning in 12 games a year? You'll get someone else's attention that's uh, at least a little bit more manageable where you have recruiting grounds and you have um, a population to draw from. Like, it's just, I, I didn't love that move for him. I thought it was a bit higher for Wyoming. But uh, with Wyoming, I don't know, like, that you need, that you can even afford to be that quick trigger. Like, if you fire him, who's going to take that job that's not, you know, the same type of person that's taking the Kansas job or the Hawaii job? Yeah. Well, like I'm looking now, like he went to Nebraska, so he's not getting that job. He wasn't. He was never getting that job. Um, Wyoming's paying him eight hundred thousand dollars a year, which I feel like is pretty lucrative for a Mountain West coach. That's a ton, yeah. That's a, that's a big contract. Yeah, so like I, I mean, I'm assuming his buyout's enormous. So so he's there for at least another two years. Um, I, I just yeah, I, I feel like Minnesota, Iowa State, like these are all jo- like. He could have fell, fallen right into the Iowa State or Minnesota jobs if he just hung around for another two years. They won those championships anyway. Craig Bolt, you, you could be the Cyclones coach right now. <laughs> and instead, instead, you, we're having a debate on a Syracuse podcast about whether or not you're going to get fired. Yeah, if I'm Wyoming, I probably don't, just because I think... If you're that school, I don't know that you can afford to be to have the reputation of some of a school that fires coaches too quickly. Um, and it's not like he inherited a great situation, although they they weren't like losing ten games a year; they were losing like seven yeah. uh, when yeah, he took and over. Awful. And now they're really bad. Um, so it, it's a bit perplexing. I, I can see both sides of it for sure. Um, I can't say I've watched enough Wyoming to like really diagnose like where the issues are and. And whether or not they've been close, or whether they're just getting like run off the field, but uh, no, they're getting run off the field. Okay. <laughs> it's getting yeah, worse. It just, it's just it's better. It's getting. I worse. think. Yeah, I, I think if you're Wyoming, I would I would trust the process of the hire and maybe give them two more years before you really make uh make any quick things, just because I don't think there's an obvious way to. I don't know that there's an obvious direction. So, um, I think as long as it like the on-field product looks better this year, they probably should hold on to him even if it doesn't result in, like, a, a sits-win year or anything. You know, I think they're a place that, that should definitely hire Clay Helton when he gets fired in two <laughs> months. <laughs> just based on just the, the circle of USC that, that, that's going on on this podcast. Oh, God. Yeah. That's a, probably a good place to end since we're coming up on, like, an hour and ten. <laughs> As always, uh, only got to about half the conference that we were talking about. Uh, rambling included schools that once again were not in that conference or Syracuse um, and yeah that, that's how we do things around here hope everybody enjoyed the uh, the show we've actually talked a lot of Syracuse the last couple of weeks so nope. we were due for a uh, a mostly Syracuse-less podcast a, a, uh, a ramshackle slave of, of so just, just so just so we get them in here I'm going to now mention the schools we didn't talk about Nevada San Jose State Fresno State and I mentioned Hawaii, but I'll mention them again. So we touched on every school in the Mountain West. Way to go, us. Um, We're any, good. Any, We're very good at this. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was Dan. I'm John. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to Troy Noons, an absolute podcast. Uh, be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk. And we'll uh, see you next week when we talk about the American Athletic Conference and Tulane. Joe Green Wave. Thank you. 
to 70% off. That's right, at Court Furniture Clearance Center. Get up to 70% off new retail prices and choose from a wide variety of previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. All items are court certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Make the smart choice and visit one of our five locations in the DMV or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. 